I wish we could start out and immediately have faith, and some people do have more faith than others. We know, realize that. But part of it is being convinced that what God said is true. We are, we are held captive because we have not fed on the Word of Christ. We don't know what it says. We've only heard what people have told us it said. Something that is real is not dependent on whether you believe in it or recognize it, but rather it exists because it is there. Let me tell you that again. Whether you believe in the spiritual world or not, it exists. Whether your doctor believes in the spiritual world or not, it exists. Whether your lawyer believes in the spiritual world or not, it doesn't matter, it is there. It's true. Life throws so much our way that it can seem impossible to know what's coming next all the time. This can very easily lead to a loss of peace, a loss of joy, and even a loss of direction in our lives. Only faith can sustain us through the various trials and tribulations we face. That's why it's so important that we find out what God actually says in His Word. This message is a continuation from a previous sermon preached by Pastor Eddie Mason titled, The Four Stages of Faith. I want to go back to what I had talked about two weeks ago on what did God actually say. You know, in the garden, what happened was that Satan, the serpent, challenged Eve with did God actually say? And so what we want to do is we want to find out what did God actually say? And so in order to do that, we've got to get His Word into our hearts. And what happens with that is we move in the stages of faith. We start off in the first stage in doubt and unbelief, unbelief shrouded in fear. Pat named it right off the bat. You see, doubt comes in when we know that God can, but will He do it for me? Will he do it for me? Have you settled the fact that God will do it for you? Those are the questions that have to be answered in our own hearts in order for faith to come alive. But when we go from doubt and we begin to get a hold of this, we move into hope, knowing it's possible and wishing it would happen. How many of you have ever been there? Yeah, sure, a lot of us get to that point where we wish it would happen. And then into believing, knowing it is possible, knowing God wants to do it, and trying to hold on to God's Word. And so that's believing because that's, that's an active thing that we're trying to get a hold of that. And everything that was in us is positively affirming God's Word, but we haven't got it moved from our head to our heart. And as long as we walk in head knowledge and not in heart knowledge, it's going to be very difficult to see these things come up about. Most of the times what we have seen happen is strictly the mercy of God. And what we want to do is be able to, to grab hold of what God has for us and move in faith knowing that God has His best for us. He's got good plans for you. He's not a bad God. He's not evil. Neither does He have, have negative things set up for you. So knowing is the final stage. And when you know it, it's a done deal. When you know it, it is a done deal. It's no longer a matter of if the Word has moved from your head to your heart and you are totally convinced, totally convinced. Now, if you go back and you study the apostles, you'll find out there's a process in being convinced. I wish we could start out and immediately have faith, and some people do have more faith than others. We know, realize that. But part of it is being convinced that what God said is true. The reason that Eve was seduced by the serpent is because she wasn't sure 
that what God said was true. And if you go back and study that, it was tempting because it was pleasant to the eyes. It was tempting just from the smell. And she knew it had to taste good. And so what she had to weigh was what the serpent was telling her and her own desire. Anybody ever been tempted? Anybody ever been tempted by God? No. Never. We're tempted by our own desire and our own flesh. And so when we walk into these places of temptation, that's what causes us to move in the side of sin. And it's this temptation that causes us to ask, did God really say this? Is this really true? You know, I, I'm not sure. The evidence doesn't bear out everything that God says. So the real question then is, how do I progress from doubt to knowledge? In Mark 9, 23, and Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. If you can. How many of you can believe that? Then you need to start. So there, there's this question that comes in, can we really believe for the impossibilities? The thing that separates the majority of us from the few is the fact that few have vision and they have the faith that they, that they can do it, even if they have the faith that they can do it in their own strength. I mean, who would have ever thought that a computer the size of a telephone would be more powerful than the, than the computers in 1970, 1975? Listen, when I went to school, when I went to Clemson, they had a computer that would stretch from that wall to this wall, and if you knew how to program it right with punch cards, you could get it to, to print out a Christmas tree. Now, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a full version of a Christmas tree. It was X's. But you see, there were people that knew that they could get that computer smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And today, you can do more on your telephone than all of the, all of the engineers and everybody else could do on that computer that was the size of this room back in 1970. It's incredible what happens. How does that happen? People grab hold of the Word of God. They begin to get a vision for the Word of God. They began to see what God said. Joseph was known as a dreamer. All of God's people ought to be dreamers. We ought to be asking God, what do you got in store for me? I'm a dreamer. I'm not ready to stay in the status quo. I, I, I know that you, you have a plan for me and a destiny for me, and I want, to, I want to move in that destiny. Now, that doesn't mean you might not fail along the way. Joseph failed a lot of times while God was training him. Abraham fell a lot of times while God was training him. Moses fell while God was training him. The apostle Paul fell while God was training him. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're probably going to fall too. But let me encourage you, get up and get on with it. What God has said is true. He said, to him who believes, all things are possible. And so we got to get out of this question, and is it possible? Is it possible can I can be healed? Let me answer that question. Yes. Yes, it is possible. Romans 3, 4 says this, God forbid, yea, let God be found true, but every man a liar. What does that mean? It means God's word's true. I don't care what you believe. If God said I'm healed, I'm healed. That's what Daddy testified to. God said he was healed. Well, he's healed. Then we're going to work in that. God, anything that contradicts the word of God is a lie. 
And what we have to do is begin to separate the lie from the truth and grab hold of the truth with all that's within us. And so what we want to do is we want to move in this place called faith. We want to grab hold of this knowledge that the realm of the spiritual is greater than the realm of the natural and that the realm of the spiritual rules over the great realm of the natural. Easy for me to say. Look what he says. He says, God's word is true. Anything that contradicts is a lie. In John 6, 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And then in John 6, 60, he said, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can even listen to it? John 6, 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. John 6, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many of who? His disciples. Now this is kind of a, uh, I'm bringing you back up to speed from where I was two weeks ago. People that had given up many things to follow Jesus. People that had walked away and said, I want to follow after Jesus. And now he requires them to, he says, you've got to feed on me. Turn to your neighbor and say, you better feed on Jesus. Jesse Duplantis, he made this statement one time. He said, you know, he said he, he got saved in a Baptist church, but he went to a Catholic church. And he said, you know, the Baptists told him that, I mean, the Catholics told him that that when he partook of the, of the bread, that it was really the body of Jesus. And when he partook of the flesh, I mean, the, the drink, it was the real blood of Jesus. And he says, so you kneel down and the, tea, and the priest comes by and he puts that thing in there. And he said, just coming to know Jesus. He said, I couldn't stand the idea that I was fixing to bite Jesus. He said, I just couldn't handle that. He said, so I just kind of sucked it down whole so it wouldn't bother anybody. That's not what Jesus is talking about, is it? It really has nothing to do with that. So how do we consume the flesh and drink the blood? Now let me ask you this question. Did Jesus really expect us to feed on his body and on his blood? Did he? Did he say for us to do that? Yeah. He did, didn't he? Did God really say that? Yes, God really said that. And so when we begin to eat on, eat on Jesus, when we begin to consume him, the Bible said Jesus was the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you see, if I'm going to eat on Jesus, I'm going to eat His Word. And His Word is going to be nourishment to my body and it's going to be transforming to my mind so that I know the truth and I don't believe the lie. The reason so many people believe the lie of the enemy is they don't know the truth. They come to church on Sunday and they hope that the pastor will give them enough stuff that they can get through to the next week. They're not eating on Jesus. I think I asked this last time I preached, but how many of y'all eat once a week? I do. I eat at least once a week. Matter of fact, I don't eat by hunger. I eat by the clock. We eat at 8 o'clock, 12, 30, and 6 o'clock. I mean, you know, I'm going to eat three times a day. If I only ate once a week, I would not be the size that I am. Amen? Amen. So some of you only eat once a week. 
And even at that, some of you sleep through that. It's okay. It's a good place to rest. But my daddy used to be the world's worst. We were in the Presbyterian church. And uh, there's a five-minute prayer after the first 15 minutes of the service. It was always a five-minute prayer. I mean, it was timed out. You knew exactly when things were going to happen. And daddy would sit there. And you'd have to know daddy in his younger days. My daddy never sat still. And so if he sat still for more than five minutes, he'd fall asleep. And so he'd be, the, he'd be praying. He's in the presence of Jesus. And the next thing you know, he's falling over. My mom would have that finger. She'd just wham and hit him right in the rib. And daddy would jump up and go, whew. Almost had a shout in Presbyterian. But daddy was able to control it a little bit. So, you know, but, but the thing is that, it, you know, that's not the way we eat. How many of you sit down at the supper table and just lay your head down on the table and say, I'm going to sleep? Am I making any sense to you? Listen. We are, we are held captive because we have not fed on the Word of Christ. We don't know what it says. We've only heard what people have told us it said. Unless, unless you consume that Word for yourself. And so I'm encouraging you today to feed on that. Then he said, drink my blood. In Hebrews 9.22 it says, Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. I can't tell you how many people that I have ministered to that tell me they have unforgiveness in their life and they can't walk in that unforgiveness. Let me ask you a question. What did God say about those that would not forgive sin? He Didn't He say He would not forgive you? No, God didn't really say that, did He? Yeah, He did. Yeah, He did. Go back. Go back. What does that mean, Eddie? It means that that sin that you were having, that unforgiveness, you're going to reap from that unforgiveness. Am I going to hell? I Probably not. I wouldn't want to take the chance, but probably not. But what I'm telling you is that unforgiveness is going to make you sick. I won't back away from that. The Bible talks about a root of bitterness that comes in our spirit. Even the, the oncologist will tell you that unforgiveness and, and that whole vein feeds cancer. Pretty strong, isn't it? Pretty strong. But he said, you're going to drink my cup. You're going to drink the cup of forgiveness. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've been forgiven. I've been washed. I'm free. That's because of the blood of Jesus. And so when he tells us to eat the bread and drink the cup, he's telling us to eat from all that he is and to drink from the place of favor that we found. I was hearing Daddy talk about parking spaces and all that other. I've got a new attitude. I, if you know me, you know I don't like hospitals. So if you get a 15-minute visit, you know, you'll be blessed to know I'm giving you all I got. I don't like hospitals. And the second thing is, I don't like to wait for an hour for a doctor. How many of y'all do? Don't raise your hands. All liars go to hell, okay? This is what, I, what, this is what I'm trying to learn, though. I, I walk in favor. I'm a, I'm a blessed man. I walk in favor. And so if, if I'm there much longer than 20 minutes, then there must be an assignment. I got to do something. Come on, it's better than sitting there just getting mad at the doctor, isn't it? Getting mad at the nurse. 
just wanting to storm out. And so what I tell what I want to suggest to you is utilize that hour and say, Lord, who do you want me to minister to? And you know, and that ought to be like sick them to a dog. Boo, go get them. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. I can't hardly wait to get to that point where I can go tell them about Jesus. And so what I want you to understand then is that feeding on Jesus is the first step for moving from doubt and unbelief to faith. You've already got some faith. How do you know that? Because God's given you the gift of faith. But if I want to go from, from believing to knowing, then i got to put His Word inside of me. Now there's something I want you to understand about faith before we go any further. Faith recognizes the reality of the spiritual world and understands that the things of the Spirit rule over the things that are natural. Something that is real is not dependent on whether you believe in it or recognize it but rather it exists because it is there. Let me tell you that again. Whether you believe in the spiritual world or not, it exists. Whether your doctor believes in the spiritual world or not, it exists. Whether your lawyer believes in the spiritual world or not, it doesn't matter. It is there. And it has influence and power in the realm of the natural. It doesn't, it's not dependent upon you believing it. I have keys in my pocket. Amen? How many of you believe I have keys in my pocket? How many of you believe I got keys in my pocket? Well, how, why? Do you know that I got keys in my pocket? If you know I got keys in my pocket, raise your hand. Here's one. It does. Do you know? Do you know? You know. Okay, anybody else? You know? You know? You know? All right. Why not the rest of you know? Didn't I just tell you I had keys in my pocket? Do you think I'm a liar? What do you mean? I got keys in my pocket. Now then, how many of you know that I have keys in my pocket? You know why? Because I've seen it and I believe it. Mm, that's not faith. That has nothing to do with faith. The realm of faith says I, I know it's there even if I can't see it, see it. And why do I know it's there? Because God told me it was. Just like I told you there were keys in my pocket and some of you could believe it, and some of you couldn't believe it, and some of you knew it, and some of you didn't know it. But I'm telling you, I got keys in my pocket. I thank you for the ones that said you knew that I was telling you the truth. But even if I'm a liar, I want you to understand this. God has no lie in Him. Amen. So if God has told you that, then we have to say that's the truth. talk to people all the time and because of my position I get to ask a lot of questions with people. They come to me and they want to know what God is saying about certain things and I ask people these questions. You know, how does God see you? And the majority of them have no idea what I'm even talking about. They hope God sees them in a favorable manner. I've read the Word. My God didn't lie. You know what He tells me? I'm beautiful. I don't care what you think. My God said that He chose me. I'm chosen. My God told me that He has forgiven me. My God tells me He's not going to judge me by my past. My God tells me that He's empowered me with His presence. My God tells me He lives inside of me. 
My God tells me that my name has been, has been lifted before the councils of all of heaven. My God tells me that the thoughts that he has for me are greater than the numbers of hairs on my head every day. Every day. Greater than the sands, the, the, uh, the pieces of sand on the seashore. He says, my, his thoughts towards me are good. My God has told me that he's got a plan and a destiny for me. He has a plan for good and not for evil. My God has said to me that I'm going to dance with him on the streets that are golden. My God has said for me that he has a mansion waiting for me in glory. My God has said to me that he, that, that Jesus took stripes on his back that I might be healed. Jesus has said to me that he is my all in all and I don't need any Anything but him. Come on. Come on. You want to know how my Jesus sees me? He sees me as perfect and being sanctified. It's that second part I don't like too much. That sanctification process, that's the finishing process. There are some things in my life God said we got to get rid of those things. And so I want to grab hold of this idea. Now let me take you one step further about faith. I want to talk to you about knowing what God has done. There is no selfish reason in that. You know in this thing about saying why God created me the way He does? That is because my God created me for His good pleasure. Now let me try to translate that into English. God likes me. How do you know that? His Word. Well, well, people have told me I've done this and this and God hates me. Well, who are you going to believe? What did God say? God said he created me for his pleasure, that he just wanted to enjoy me, that he wanted to have a relationship with me, that he wanted me to be in his presence. He told me if I would talk to him, he'd talk to me anytime I wanted to. Sometimes he talks to me when I don't want him to. I ask God all the time, God, what's my biggest flaw? He said, you're selfish. I said, what? He said, you're self-centered and you're selfish. Don't forget me so holy. Let me let you in on a little nugget. Faith does not operate out of selfishness. And most of the time we've tried to use faith to consume it upon ourselves. That doesn't mean we can't believe God for healing. That doesn't mean we can't believe God for the the great things because He says, He said in the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That's for self. But what we really have to understand is that if we're going to operate in the knowing part of it, then we have to know that we're glorifying the Father. Jesus said, I came to do nothing of myself, but I came that I might give glory to the Father. If we're going to be doing the things that Jesus did, then what we need to be doing is glorifying the Father. And what most of us are doing is trying to figure out how we can get over the circumstances that we're under and out of the situations that we have created. And we want to use our faith to get beyond where we are rather than glorifying God in the midst of everything He's done for us. Am I making sense to you? I want you to grab hold of this idea that there is no selfishness in faith. Faith is all about God. It's not about you. A.W. Tozer says, faith creates nothing. That's magic. That's magic. 
Faith creates nothing. It simply reckons upon that which is already there. God and the spiritual world are real. It is convinced that it's already there. My healing's already there. Daddy said it. You read my notes. 2,000 years ago, it's there. Pat's healing, it was there. Mom's healing, it didn't happen that day. It happened 2,000 years ago. My deliverance happened over 2,000 years ago. My, my forgiveness happened over 2,000 years ago. You see, I got a good hold of the thing is, I've just got to be convinced it is. What Jesus said, he's not a liar. He hadn't changed his mind. I don't care what all these different religions tell you. You know, they'll change what they're saying all the time. Jesus is going to save this many. No, he's going to save this many. No, he's going to save this many. Jesus is going to do that. Forget all that. If they're changing the word, something's wrong. Because Jesus is not a man that he should lie. And so we want to grab hold of this idea that the truth that God has brought to us is there. We're not creating anything. We're taking hold of what's been done for us. We're believing God. We're saying, God, you've got keys in your pocket. Did God really say he had keys in his pocket? You better believe it. He's got the keys to the kingdom. He can open anything and any door. He can, he can do anything that you want to do, and he will do it through you. Why? That's his way. If God's going to do it, he's going to do it through a man. Why? Because he gave man dominion on the earth. He gave man authority on the earth. And so we want to take hold of, we want to reckon God's word to be true. We want to take hold of truth and we want to apply it in our lives and we want to see to it that we are glorifying God. It's hard to glorify God when you're selfish. Now remember I started this by telling you that God told me over and over and over again I was selfish. He's not mad at me. Let me tell you again. God's not mad at me. He wants me to deal with it. And every time he, he, he peels off a layer of selfishness, he reveals another layer of selfishness. And I don't know whether we'll ever get to the very depth of it, but I sure hope so. Am I making any sense to you all today? Let me go one step further. In Luke 10, 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Did God really say that the realm of the demonic was subject to us? We don't act like it, do we? We act like sometimes Satan is more powerful than God. We act like there's a struggle. I read this present darkness by Frank Peretti. I recommend it as a wonderful fiction Tell your neighbor, fiction novel. Because you see, all of that war that, they, that he, he shows going on in there, you can't find that anywhere in Scripture. Not there. The Bible said God, Jesus made an open show and conquered him forever. Look what he said. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. You know, it's interesting. I've seen a lot of things in my life. I saw my daddy at about 60 years old. Excuse me, I didn't see it. I testified to it, about 60 years old. He was in a deliverance meeting with a little 14-year-old girl. And the little 14-year-old girl picked him up and threw him across the room. And I'm not talking about a little room. I'm talking about a big room. And, of course, again, if you know Daddy, you know he didn't stay up against the wall. He bounced right back. He never ran from a fight in his life. Well, 60 years old, you get thrown across the room. Next day, you're a little sore and hurting. Mm -mm. I saw my brother. They laid hands on him one time. He went out in the spirit and there was a metal folding chair sitting right there. He cracked that metal folding chair like it was nothing. Bam! If you were asleep, you're awake now. And I thought we were going to see blood gushing out. I thought Brick was knocked out. When he finally did get up, I just left him over there, by the way. I didn't go to him. I figured if it was God, he needed whatever he was getting. When I got up, I said, Brick, did you feel that chair? He said, Eddie, he said, it like somebody laid me down on a pillow. I said, is there a, a lump there? He said, feel it. There's nothing there. I'm praying over a lady one time, and she goes out in the spirit, and when her head hits the floor, it sounds like a mushmelon has popped. You got to know what a mushmelon is, I guess. Cantaloupe has popped open. I mean, you, you've heard that sound. You will never forget that sound. And she's laying there and somebody comes to me and said, there wasn't anybody behind her to catch her. Wasn't anybody behind her to catch her. Now, I was in the spirit at that time because I'm not this way. I said, well, if it was fake, she needs to fall. And if it was God, she's okay. She got up about 10 minutes later and she said, man, that's the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. God just moved in and had, a, had his way with me. I said, well, did you hurt your head? She said, what are you talking about? God said he's given me power. Did he really say that? Not only did he say that, but he said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, Peter, I, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I, I always read that thing backwards. You know what, the, the gates of hell, if it worked the way I saw it, they would have to be on a track because I see the gates of hell pressing against the church and pushing it backwards. Let me tell you that again. That's the way I see that. I see the gates of hell trying to push the, the church backwards and the church stands up and says, no, that's not the image that's created at all. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is saying the gates, the authority of hell, the authority of hell will not prevail, will not be successful, cannot have success against his church. His church will rip the gate from its hinges and will storm the captives and the captives will be set free by the blood of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Did God really say that? Read it. 
We're so busy battling Satan, we forget we have power and authority to release life. We forget that we have the power to pray and see things change. Gary told you last week, he prayed for rain, and it rained. It rained on Haiti one time, and the only other time he forgot to tell God how big the rain needed to be, so it just rained on him. Just a miracle. You know, we, we read that about the fleece, you know, when Gideon said, let the dew fall everywhere but on the fleece. And the next day he said, let the dew only fall on the fleece. And we go, yeah, right. Can I tell you, that's the very picture that I saw. The covenant keeping God, when Gary asked for rain, he let it rain on Gary's head and Gary's head alone. And he said, I'm the covenant keeping God. I love you. I'm going to refresh you with the rains. Come on, give God praise. Give God praise. Do I think he loves Gary more than me? Nope. Do you think he loves Gary more than you? Well, Gary's doing more for the kingdom. Doesn't matter. All I can tell you is get busy, but that's not what God, the basis of God's love is. you got to settle this thing. God said we had authority. Jesus says the church will, move, will be moved forward. Jesus said the church cannot be stopped. Turn to your neighbor and say, you the church. Wow. I want you to chew on that one for a little while. You cannot be stopped in Jesus' name. Not only are all things possible, but we have the power and the authority to conquer the realms of darkness abiding within us, wanting to manifest itself through us. Am I making sense to you? What did God say? You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.